one prayer request that I failed to mention. I ask if you would be praying. Uh, Kathleen messaged me a couple hours ago and asked us to be praying for Tassin, and he hasn't been doing well today, so be praying for Tassin. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Now, you'll notice the title tonight, a chapter on holy living. Now, that could be every chapter in this book, but especially as we find Colossians chapter 3 here, uh, we see some truths about holy living that I want us to be encouraged about and uh, blessed by. And we're going to, if you will, follow along with me. And I, fellas, I don't know if we're going to get it all done tonight. Most likely not, but we might. Uh, but we're going to, I want you to follow along with me. I'm going to read the entire chapter, just 25 verses tonight. And I want us to look at it as a foundation, and we're going to kind of pick it apart a little bit and see some things about uh, our lives, uh, what God wants for us as believers, not what God wants for us to become believers, but what God wants for us as His children and as believers. The Bible says in verse 1, "...if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those saints which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God." Set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. I love that verse. Then ye shall also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, longsuffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus." Giving thanks to God by the Father by Him, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as unto the Lord, and not unto men, 
knowing that the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful to have a perfect book, thankful to have your word to teach us, to guide us in all truth. And Lord, as your spirit, our companion, as we read and study this book, Lord, I pray that you would do so tonight. I pray that you would help us. Lord, I pray you'd help us to see that you have a desire for us to live holy lives. Lord, not to deserve or earn salvation, not as a religious work for merit for us, but Lord, because of who we are, because you are our Father. Lord, I pray that we would follow your teaching, your truth tonight. Lord, would you help us tonight, every one of us in this Bible study, Lord, to allow you to work on us. Lord, we come before you tonight confessing that we need your help. We confess tonight, Lord, that we haven't arrived yet. Lord, we struggle, every one of us. Lord, there's no one in this room who can hold their hand up and say, I'm perfect before a holy God. God, that's not true. Lord, we need your help. And Lord, we ask you for it tonight. God, help me. Help me to be the kind of Christian I ought to be. Help me to teach you right your truth tonight. Lord, would you lead us along, guide us, help us, encourage us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We just read a lengthy portion, not really lengthy, but in our culture today, a lengthy portion of Scripture. 25 verses, and in this passage, the whole thrust, the whole thrust of Paul's argument that God gave him to pen and his appeal in this chapter could be summed up and encapsulated in this small capsule. Uh, if you'll let me paraphrase here, this passage a little bit, and then we're going to look at some truths here from the Word of God. Basically, Christians, and by the way, this is written to Christians. Uh, this letter was first sent to the churches in Colossae. It was not sent to the city of Colossae. It was sent to the churches of Colossae, uh, to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Christians, because of your union, because of my union with the Lord Jesus Christ, in His death, in his burial and his resurrection, his ascension and his exaltation, our life must be different. And understand we are connected with him as believers in all those things. And because of that connection, our life must be, should be, ought to be different. The first two chapters of Colossians, and we last week we finished out chapter 2, the first two chapters of the book of Colossians, uh, we see doctrine. And by the way, praise God for doctrine. Uh, praise God that we can stand on doctrine, uh, the doctrine of the Word of God, not the doctrine of men, not the doctrine of our feelings or the doctrine of our I think or I feel or I wish, but what does God's Word say? I'm glad that God gives us doctrine, the, uh, the bones that we build uh, on truth. And I'm glad we have that. We see doctrinal here, uh, the first two books, our first two chapters of this book. And then we get into some practical, some practical teaching, 
some practical things. Some of you remember when you were in school and you would have uh, book learning and you would have class and then you'd have maybe they'd call it lab and then you could do something. Tim was telling me about his canon. Is that done yet? Not yet. When you get it done, you're going to bring it to my house. We're going to shoot it. Amen. Cannon. Uh, uh, Tim is learning uh, at Nate. They're, they're building weaponry, I think, for a war. Uh, building a cannon. But they can't, they can't drill in and put a fuse in it. But when he brings it to my house, I'll put a fuse in it. Uh, and, you know, you could sit in class. Imagine a 10-year-old boy sitting in class and learning about cannons. And then all of a sudden, the teacher says, okay, now we're going to build one. And how many of you remember the first potato launcher you ever saw? How many of you have that experience? I remember I was at work years ago working sales. My sales manager came in with his homemade potato launcher made out of PVC pipe, had a barbecue igniter for a trigger, uh, sprayed hairspray in there, some accelerant, and you ram a potato down the tube and <clears throat> And it was that night, every time you got a sale, you got to go out in the parking lot in this commercial area. I'm sure we would have gotten arrested if people caught us in this commercial area. And we're launching potatoes in this commercial complex. Man, we were excited to make sales that night, but excited for that hands-on. What we have here now as we shift gears a little bit into some hands-on, some practical uh, teaching and help uh, of the epistle here in the book of Colossians. Uh, our belief if you will, must behave. Our creed must be translated into conduct. If we really believe something, if that truly is the core of what we are, it will conduct ourselves that way. Uh, what we are in Christ, by the way, that's my standing. I'm in Christ as a believer. Uh, must be influenced and affect where we are, our state, wherever we are now. The doctrine is vitally important. Don't ever discount doctrine. Doctrine is vital, uh, but we must adorn doctrine. Adorn this doctrine. We're going to see that in a little bit. Uh, hold your place here and turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 10. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Because of our virtue of our union with Christ, because of who we are, because of what Christ has done, because of our position and our standing, our whole life must be different. Before we give you some points tonight, let me remind you of the story of the demoniac of Gadara. There was a wild man, a man who the Bible says lived in the tombs. He cut himself. The Bible says they bound him with chains. He broke the chains. He was naked. He, he would cry and scream, and he was antisocial. Uh, he, he was a wild man. And Jesus showed up. And that demoniac, that man that was possessed with demons, that man who was controlled by demons, that man whose life was bound in chains, he may have broken the fetters they put on him, but he still was bound in the chains of demonic possession. 
that man's life was a mess. But he met Jesus Christ. And Jesus cast the demons out of him. Cast them into a herd of swine. The herd of swine went into the sea. By the way, if my doctor ever tells me, Pastor Rice, you have to only eat seafood because your health is bad, I'm going to say, okay, because I, I saw that pigs went swimming there, so pigs are now seafood. But anyway, they went in the sea, and the man, whenever the people saw him, these are people who saw him cutting himself, who heard him screaming, who knew he lived in the tombs, maybe the very people who abounded with chains before, the people who maybe uh, would tell their children at night, you come inside, you know, that wild man's out there in the tombs. I mean, we're talking about these people were terrified of him. These same people saw him. How did they see him after he met Jesus? He was setting, he was clothed, and he was in his right mind. And it scared them to death. Now, hold on a minute. His lifestyle scared them but the radical change scared them more because they knew something had happened, something very powerful, something more powerful than them. Christian, when you got saved, you may not have run through the tombs, you may not have been cutting yourself, you may not have been bound with change, but can I tell you that you were changed into a new creature just as that man, the demoniac of Gadara, all things have become new because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, because of the doctrines we understand who we are and our standing in Christ. Everything about our life ought to change and should be different. Number one, question for you tonight. What are we? What are you? By virtue of your union with Christ. What does that make you? That expression, with Christ, those two words, occurs three times in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 3. It gives us the answer to that question. That question, what are we? What are you? What am I by virtue of my union with Christ? Number one, the first time we see it, it speaks of our position with, our position with or in Christ. It says in verse one, if ye then be risen with Christ. I got a text a little while ago. I'll pull it up. A text from Elizabeth. I think it was from Elizabeth. Now I got to see. Uh, anyway, I got a picture of Lizzie took a selfie and there was Hannah and there was Cassie and they were together in church tonight there in Indiana and she was happy to share, Hey, they're here. They're with me. We're together. Christian positionally, according to the word of God, according to Colossians chapter three and verse one. We are with Christ in our position, risen with Christ. The Bible says dead with Christ in verse 3, through faith in him we have died and risen again. Praise God for that. I have the position with Christ where he is is where I am. Verse 12 of chapter 2, if you look back just across the page, the Bible says uh, they're buried with him in baptism 
wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. I love that. Who hath raised him from the dead. Not, nothing we did. It's God's work. So we see that we've died. We've risen again in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. And I'll read that very quickly here. Uh, Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20. The Bible says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In God's reckoning, get this statement, in God's reckoning, every Christian, every born again child of God has been crucified with Christ and risen again. That's by the reckoning of God. Understand Christ died for me. I died, if you will, I, his, his death and his resurrection. I am in him. I am reckoned that I died with Christ, that I rose with Christ. Uh, it speaks of our, uh, where we are, position. But number two, when we answer the question there about what does it mean, my connection with Christ, what does it mean for me? Number two, it speaks of our protection. Our protection. Look in verse number 3, chapter 3, verse 3. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's our protection with or in Christ. I've shared the story before, but I had a Boston Terrier when I was a kid. Actually, we had two. We had one, and then when he died, we got another one. Well, black and white. Little, some of them you might call them a bulldog, little flat faced, stubby tailed uh, snore machines. And if he got a treat, he would take that treat to the corner in our living room. We had a piano in our uh, living room called a square grand. Anybody know what a square grand piano is? It looks like a pool table. And it's an old type of piano and literally looks like an ornate pool table till you lift the lid. But in the corner of the room there, and he would always take it underneath the piano there, and he would go in the corner, and he'd lay the treat down, and he'd take his little paws and dig an imaginary hole in the corner of the carpet. And it had to be imaginary because if he dug a real hole, my mom would have killed him. And after he dug his little imaginary hole, he'd pick that treat up with his mouth and carefully and gingerly lay it down in that imaginary hole. And then he would take that little flat face he had and rub the imaginary dirt over top of the street in the imaginary hole. And you say, Pastor, was your dog crazy? No. Even he was smart enough to realize that that was crazy. So, Pastor, how do you know he knew it was crazy? Because if he really believed it was a real hole with real dirt covering his treat, he would have trusted that it was safe. But even he was smart enough to know it was crazy because after he'd, he'd cover the treat, he'd lay beside of it about that far away from the treat and watching it. He'd just lay there. And God help you if you decided you were going to take that treat. He'd rip your arm off. He, he, man, if a, if a bear, grizzly bear, Brother Maud walked in our house, came and tried to get a treat, there would be a dead grizzly bear in our living room. He, was, he would fight to the death for that treat. 
He guarded that treat. He protected that treat. I got the brilliant idea when I was a kid because kids are stupid. How many of you know that? Sometimes kids are stupid, especially boys. Boys are stupider than girls. Uh, we, I got this brilliant idea. I'm going to get the treat away from my dog. But I don't like pain. I'm allergic to pain. It makes me break out in tears. So my plan was I got a blanket. Here's my beautiful plan. I'm going to throw the blanket over my dog. My dog's going to be blind. He can't see. Cover the blanket. After I cover him up, I'm going to reach in and grab the treat. I am going to reign victorious. Then I'm going to pull the blanket off, and I'm going to taunt my dog. It sounded like a solid plan. I threw the blanket. Went okay. I reached to grab the treat over the blanket. What I did not know is that my psychopathic dog who envisions imaginary holes in the ground and imaginary dirt also has a sixth sense, does not need vision to bite my arm. And he threw the blanket, <laughs> popped me as I reached to grab the treat. And I, Ow! I yelped and went back and my dad laughed at me and said, you deserve what you got. <laughs> Praise God for good parenting, amen. But my dog was protecting what he loved. Can I tell you, Christian, my God and your God, he protects what he loves. We are in Christ. We see that protection that is in him. I love that. In verse 3, we see that your life is hid with Christ. Read the verse. It's hid with Christ in God. I am protected. I am safe. I am secure in my relationship. That's a wonderful thing. We're as safe as the Lord Jesus Christ is. That's pretty safe. I couldn't be any safer. It is true now. It is true for all of eternity. Because of my relationship, I am in his presence. And I am in his protection. But number three, as well, we see our prospect. Look in verse four. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. There's a very long joke that I will not tell, but I'll tell you the punchline quickly via illustration. These two guys were talking one day, and one of the guys told his buddy, I know everybody in the whole world. There's nobody I don't know. It's an old joke, and a guy said, well, you don't know this person listed an actress. And, oh, yeah, we went to acting school together, and in the joke, it goes along. They go there. He goes. The guy's name is Frank. And Frank goes to see the guy and hugs the guy, and the guy knows him, and they have a moment, and his buddy can't believe that this famous person knows Frank. And it goes through all these different people, and finally, at the end of the joke, he said, I bet you don't know the Pope. And when I heard the joke, it was 30-some years ago. And I bet you don't know Pope John Paul. And he said, oh, yeah. Yeah, we went to seminary together. We're good friends. I know known him my whole life. And so his buddy said, I'm going to catch him. I'm going to prove he doesn't know him. So they fly to Rome. They, they go to the Vatican 
the Pope was holding mass or whatever, and he couldn't get close enough so they could go and talk together. So Frank said to his buddy, hey, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go in. They'll let me in because everybody knows me. I'm going to go up, and I'm going to come out uh, on the platform there where the Pope is. And when I come out, I said, he said, you'll see me come out. I'll hug him. You'll know then that I know the Pope. And so he went up there, did that. He came back down, and after he hugged the Pope, he left, came back down looking for his buddy. When he found his buddy, his buddy was crying. Brother Jared, he said, man, what's wrong? He said, you know, it's no big deal. I mean, I'm sorry it offends you that I know the Pope. I know everybody. He said, that didn't bother me. The end of the joke is it didn't offend me when you knew this person, this person, this person. It goes all the way down the line. And he said, but what really got me was when a guy came up to me and said, hey, who's that up there with Frank? Now, can I tell you that we think of folks that we know uh, that uh, they get elevated and that, wow, that, that person, we think of pop culture, we think of people, wow, uh, that person, that, that, that's my idol or that person, I can't imagine uh, to be like them or to be with them or to be around them. But can I tell you what our prospect is as believers? The Bible tells us there in that passage that God is going to glorify and we are going to appear with him in glory. Just like in that joke, Frank went up on the high pedestal there with one that the world says that's a great person, but I am going to go with the one who is truly great, which is Jesus Christ. And I'm going to appear with him. That is a wonderful prospect that I have. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, and I'll read for you quickly, chapter 8 and verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So, but preacher, I'm not glorified yet. No, but I'm going to be. And in God's eyes, it is as if I already am glorified. That is a powerful prospect for us as believers. Uh, how wonderful that is. We see that by faith in Christ, those two words, very important, in Christ. By faith in Christ, through our union with him as believers, we have a new position. We have a new position. We, we have a new protection. And we have a new prospect that places us in that place. Because our lives are to be different our standing, get this statement, our standing should influence our state. If we are in Christ, we must be seen in what we are in the world. Now, what does that look like? What's that look like? How many of you remember the first time you ever saw a moose? Brother Jerese, you're not, you're not from Canada. You don't have moose in the Philippines. You got carabaos. Uh, you got lots of women's shoes in the palace. You got uh, you got lots of things in the Philippines, but you don't have moose. I believe I was with you the first time you saw a moose in person. Is that right? We had a, a fall activity once, and we went out to a farm near where Brother Pete Newfeld was living, and we're out there. We're gonna uh, doing some shooting, and all of a sudden, this big bull moose walks out, and I got a bunch of people saying, Pastor, can we shoot the moose? I'm like, no, don't shoot the moose. But Brother Jerry's never seen a moose before. 
They're ugly creatures. By the way, they're delicious creatures, but they're weird. It almost looks like God was in creation going, okay, I got some extra parts here. What can I build with these extra parts? And God kind of, well, yeah, we'll call it a moose. Uh, put some parts together. They're odd-looking creatures. They're big. They're funny-looking. they got a big, long nose, and they're just, they're weird-looking animals. They're strange. They're unusual. Imagine, if you will, trying to describe a moose to someone who had never seen a moose before. Imagine, Brother Mike, going up past Baguio up a mountain province, maybe up in Sagata, and finding some folks in rural area outside of Sagata and telling people there in that rural area, mountain province, trying to describe a moose to them. They wouldn't understand what you're talking about. They'd never seen a picture before. And you try to describe what's it's like, you know, seven or eight feet tall. It's got these giant horns on its head and it's got a hump on its back. And what? Kind of low in the back end, high in the front end, kind of like a, a, a backwards muscle car from the 1970s, jacked up in the front and popped in the back. They wouldn't understand. They wouldn't know what it looks like. Believers, sometimes I'm afraid that we have got such an unfamiliarity with the Word of God that sometimes we forget what it looks like for our lives to be different. We, we've forgotten what it's supposed to look like. And this passage, I believe, gives us some clear teaching and some things. And I, I want us to see this tonight, and I'm not sure how far we'll get, but I want to I see some things that I believe will greatly help you tonight if you'll see them with me. So number two, in what ways are our lives to be different? Or what's it look like? What, what does it actually look like? Under that heading, the first point, we must put off. We must put off certain things. Look in verses 5 through 9. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth fornication, uncleanness, and ruined affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Uh, by the way, these things that God says we're to put to death are the things the world is trying to promote today. The things the world says, oh, this is good, let's celebrate this. God says, no, kill it, put it to death. I'm talking about the sin, not the people here, understand. These deeds are to be put to death, they're to be put off. It goes on in verse 6, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walk sometime when ye live therein. But now ye also, notice the phrase, put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. We're to put off, we're to reckon as dead those things which pertain to the old life. When I was an 18-year-old kid, when I was in Bible college, my first year, my first semester in Bible college, it was this month back in 1994 in October. We did different things, promotions uh, for the kids we brought to church. We do fun activities. We try to do something uh, 
few times in the year we did special things for the kids and we did something we called Swamp Monster Sunday. And now we didn't have a monster at the church. Uh, we had a regular church service and after church we took the kids and we drove past this little area. It was a forest preserve and there's little ponds and swamps and we had this uh, guy dressed up like a swamp thing. And he'd come out to the bus and uh, the kids would go crazy and they would laugh and, and we'd drive on. And, well, that year, I was on the bus, I was in the front of the bus, and the guy driving the bus, Brother John Francis, Dr. Francis is in charge now of the bus ministry at First Baptist. My Lizzie is on his daughter's bus route, daughter and son-in-law's bus route there in college now. And he said to me, he looked over at me and he said, Brian, go wrestle the swamp monster. 18-year-old farm kid, I jumped off the bus wearing my Sunday, Sunday best, which wasn't probably as nice as what I'm wearing right now, but I jumped off the bus. I went over the boys. I still remember his name was Oscar Prado. Oscar was the guy, Hispanic guy, who was dressed up as a swamp monster, and he was down in this, it was almost like a cesspool. It was disgusting. And he comes out of the water, and he'd been doing this for like an hour, all these buses coming through. And I went over. The kids, of course, can't hear him. And he says to me, I'm so tired. And he came up out of the swamp. And he was a small guy. And I grabbed a hold of him. I pressed him over my head. The kids were going crazy. But I picked him up, scooped him up, pressed him over my head. I walked out to the edge of the swamp. And I tossed him about from where I am to where Jim is. And splash, he never came back up. Man, the kids went crazy. All these Chicago kids, uh, gangbangers out there pulling their pistols. You know, it was, they were excited that I killed the swamp monster. Now, what happened was he went under, came up behind some weeds, and nobody saw him. He, he's still alive, by the way. But I went to get back on the bus. The door opened to the bus. I stepped in, and Dr. Francis said, you can't get in, you have to stay in the stairwell. I said, why? He said, you smell like the swamp. I had gotten that all over me. I mean, I was soaked in the nastiness and slime from that guy that I picked up and tossed in there. I had to ride in the front of the bus in the stairwell all the way to Chicago. When we got to Chicago, somebody had to put me in a car and drive me all the way back to the college. I had to go take a shower, had to throw my clothes away, uh, had to change clothes and go to church. I had to get that nasty stuff off of me. It was disgusting. It was vile. I had to take it off. Matter of fact, the first thing I did when I got inside the bus, I took my sports jacket off and I wadded it up. I threw it in the trash can. I left it there. I took my tie off and threw it in the trash can. I, it was disgusting. Can I tell you, Christian, that we have to take off the old man? It is just as disgusting to a holy God as the smell of the stench of that swamp that I smelled back in 1994. We have to put off. We have to take off those things regard to the old life. But that's not the end. 
we need to put off. But number two, we need to put on certain things. Look at verses 10 through 14. And I put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Now, I don't put off this vile coat of sin and flesh and then put the same coat back on. Rather, I am to put on, the Bible tells us here, something different. Just like the prodigal came back, the prodigal came back in rags. And the prodigal's father put a new clean garment on him. He put a ring on his finger. He, he killed the fatted calf. He, he, he covered him in the richness of his glory. And Christian, I am to have the richness of God's glory put on my life. We, we use that phrase, putting on. We use that phrase in the, in the south where I'm from. We say if somebody is acting a certain way, they're putting on. Kind of like if you've got a brother Mike when uh, Maggie was little, if he didn't want to go to school. I don't know if he did this or not. Uh, he probably did. He woke up and went, Mama, I don't feel good. <coughs> I don't think I can go to school today. I feel really bad. And Mike knows he's not sick. In the South, we'd say, oh, he's putting on, or he's acting, or he's pretending. You know, we so easily and so quickly want to criticize and say, Pastor, man, we should just be real. Man, we should just live raw the way we are. What God says, we're to put off the old man. And God commands us here to put on this matter of holy living is a putting on of that which is good, that which is holy, that which is honoring, that which is pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't stay in the filthy rags of sin. By the way, we don't stay naked without the filthy rags of sin. Rather, God wants to clothe upon you, and God wants to clothe upon me his holiness, his goodness, his righteousness, and how wonderful it is to see God do that in my life. Uh, look back at Luke 15. Luke chapter number 15, verse 22. But the father, this is the story of the prodigal. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hands and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Can I tell you here we have a picture 
a picture in the prodigal. We have a picture of our life with Christ. He wants to give us the best. He wants us to have the best. He wants you to put on. The Bible tells us back in our text, and we'll close here. We'll pick up here next week. But look back in our text one more time, Colossians chapter 3. It says in verse 10 there, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Can I tell you who we're to put on? We're to put on Jesus Christ. We're to act in such a way that the world says, like Jesus. By the way, can I tell you that happened in the account in the book of Acts? The Bible says at Antioch, there was a group of believers who followed Jesus Christ. By the way, Jesus had been in heaven. He no longer walked the earth. He was ascended to the Father. And not the religious crowd, but the worldly crowd looked at the believers in Antioch and said, they're like a bunch of little Jesuses. They're Christians. By the way, that word Christian was not a compliment as far as the world was concerned. It was a derogatory, vile condemnation coming from the lost world. You're just like Jesus. By the way, they killed Jesus. It was not a compliment from the world. But can I tell you, it was a badge of honor to those believers at Antioch who were first called Christians because they were putting on. They were putting on Jesus. They were looking like Jesus. Christian, as we continue next week talking about the ways, what it looks like for your life to be different, what it looks like for us to live holy life, may we realize that God wants us to put off the old man. You know, when I took that sports jacket off years ago and tossed it in that trash can, it was a, just a five-gallon bucket in the front of that bus. I didn't want to pick it back out of there. I didn't want to put it on again because it was disgusting. May we never have a desire to go back to as the Bible says, as a dog returneth to his vomit. But may we walk away and praise God for the newness that is in Christ Jesus and put on the new man. Quick illustration, I'll close with this. When I was in high school, we had a blizzard in March, March of 1993. My sister was home alone Myself, my, my mom, my dad were, had driven to my grandmother's house. And we, as we were driving home, the road was blocked. The snow had drifted across. And we don't get drifting snow where I'm from ever. It was a very unusual thing. We had 30, 30 inches of snow. That is not a normal thing in March, the end of March in West Virginia. And it was a flash blizzard. The road was so bad that the state road vehicles, when we got there, had turned around and was leaving because they gave up. We were a mile and a half from home. Praise God, 
uh, man that owns a sawmill just down between, halfway between where I was and my house, got his own equipment and he came and spent an hour or two, maybe three, and he cleaned the road <laughs> that the government said, no, we can't do it, we give up. But my sister was home alone. My grandmother and grandfather, they're on the property as well. They didn't know where we were. We didn't have cell phones, only drug dealers and uh, doctors and lawyers and Iranians had cell phones back then, and they were this big. <laughs> and uh, so my dad said, we need to get, let everybody know we're okay. So my dad said, Brian, I want you to walk home. And it was cold. I wasn't dressed to be prepared to go outside but the reason we went to my grandmother's, for some reason, our washing machine had broken, and we went to do laundry, and there was laundry in the back of my dad's Jeep, and there was all these sweaters. They were my mom's sweaters. And I had some, some clothes of mine there, and I put on a couple of pants on top of my pants. I put on several of my mom's sweaters. I looked like the abominable snowman, uh, only in women's sweater print by the gym I was cross-dressing. And I didn't wear any skirts, but I, I put a, a, I believe it was a flowered toque on my head. I, I had to look ridiculous, but you couldn't see me because the wind was blowing, the snow was blowing. And I walked home. I got blown over a guardrail and stuck in a snowdrift for half an hour, but I eventually made it home. But I had to put on lots of clothes. It was work putting all that on. Christian, we're going to look the next week at the things that God wants us to put on and some other things God has for us. Why? Because it's for your good and for God's glory. And I want us, as we spend time in this passage, I want us to see what God has for us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Lord, that you want to clothe us with your glory. Thank you for our position, protection, and, Lord, our prospect we have of being in Christ. Lord, I pray you'd help us to put off the old man. Lord, may we see tonight and next week, may we understand that we are to be radically different as believers. And may we see what that looks like as we talk about this putting on the new man. Lord, bless us tonight. Lord, dismiss us. Help us as we prepare for this weekend. Lord, as we seek... Uh, souls for your glory. May you be glorified this evening. In your precious name we pray. Amen.